Podcasting from the heart of the Gator Nation in Alachua County, Florida, this is Extension Cord, the podcast of UF-IFAS Extension Alachua County, where we plug in and bring UF-IFAS Extension to life. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Taylor Clem with UF-IFAS Extension in Alachua County, and it is a bright, beautiful Friday afternoon as we're recording this, and we are at Wilmot Botanical Gardens here on University of Florida's campus. And today we have Lee Deal with us. And Lee Deal, she's the director of therapeutic horticulture at Wilmot Botanical Gardens. And we're going to talk with her and learn all about therapeutic horticulture, the programs that's happening here, because, you know, you drive through campus and you'll see the gardens and you might wonder what's going on over there. And, you know, the programs that are happening here on this part of campus are extraordinary. So, Lee, welcome, and thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It is a beautiful day. I wish you could all see this greenhouse right now because it is full of plants, and it feels like spring in here today. I know. I know. It's 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 a nice, comfortable day because we turned the fans off as part of the recording, so luckily right. it's not a hot day. Yes. <laughs> but um, And we'll talk about all the beautiful plants that we have here. Maybe I'll take some pictures before we leave so I can post them up on the website. That'd be great. Part of it's too, but... I know I want to talk about all about the therapeutic horticulture program, but Lee, tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and I know I want to, we're going to dive into like how you got to this point and about the program here, but. Sure. Well, so I have taken sort of one of those non-traditional career paths uh, in my life, I guess you could say. My background is really in landscape architecture. I have actually a master's degree in landscape architecture, um, and I kind of fell into the horticultural therapy world. Um, slightly anyway. I do have a mm-hmm. little brother who uh, had a traumatic brain injury when he was about two years old. And so I have been part of that kind of special education world throughout mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of combining working with people with special needs and um, what I eventually came to know as landscape architecture, I think has always been in the back of my mind. Right. And so this idea of horticultural therapy, which really does those things, I think was probably brewing around in there before mm-hmm. I even knew what that concept <laughs> was. And so... I did fall into a um, opportunity for a position. I don't think any of us knew what that was when the mm-hmm. position was offered mm-hmm. to me to work at a residential facility for young adults with physical and developmental disabilities in Chicago in the early 90s. And that's where I started up a horticultural therapy program without even knowing what it was, that mm-hmm. that, was a, that was even a term at that point. And it just kind of took off from there. Oh, that's wonderful. And I know that you, you found your way here. Yes. Um, and... The Wilmot Gardens has been here, though, for quite a while. When did Wilmot yeah. get started? Because it's, it's part of College of Medicine. Yeah, right? so the gardens themselves have been here since the 40s. Oh, wow. Yeah, very wow. Uh, long history with both the university and the community of Gainesville. They were named after uh, Royal James Wilmot, who was a horticulturist here at UF. Mm-hmm. And um, he unfortunately died at an early age of 50, uh, I believe it was 50, it, and that was in 1952. And so the mm-hmm. gardens were named in his honor after that oh, time. Wow. They actually at one point were the largest public camellia gardens in the United States. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and the American Camellia Society was founded, mm-hmm. I think, in Gainesville or oh. some. But anyway, so it was lots of beautiful camellias here. And um, over time, the gardens fell into disrepair, mm-hmm. and then in 2006 were restored. Oh, and wow. so... Um, one of my uh, bosses, Dr. Craig Tischer, <laughs> who 
at the time, uh, back in 2006, was just retiring from being the dean of the College of Medicine. Mm-hmm. He had been driving by this space for years and thought somebody needs to do something with that space because it's so beautiful or could be beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're going to turn it mm-hmm. into a parking lot. So he got permission from the College of Medicine to take on the restoration of the space. He put together a small group of very dedicated volunteers, Mm -hmm. and they came on the weekends, they battled invasives, they pulled out dead trees, and they slowly restored these gardens back to what they originally were. So it's about five acres, and and I guess that kind of rolls us into this concept of therapeutic horticulture because as they, you know, their their plan was to restore the gardens, to heal the land. Yeah. But mm-hmm. as that was happening and the green space was accessible again, they found that people were coming from all over. At this point, this garden, is, as you can see today, is surrounded by medical facilities, right. research facilities, mm-hmm. hospitals, that kind of thing. People were coming back to the gardens to get outside, to get to this beautiful space. So... The group started to see that this healing uh, thing was both not just for the land, but for the people as well, Mm -hmm. that they were having a sense of restoration by being able to get out of the stressful things happening in those buildings Mm -hmm. and coming here to get a break, basically. Yeah. And so that kind of, it seems like that became the point where it's like, hmm, this can become something more. And uh, then... Did the therapeutic horticulture program kind of just like stem off of that like immediately? How did that, how did, how did this greenhouse and the program come to be as part of that? So yes, basically right about that time, and that's when I joined was around 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually had just gone through the Master Gardener program. I guess I I think I was class of 2009. (laughs) And um, so I was, you know, kind of figuring out what I was going to do as a Master Gardener and Mm -hmm. Uh, Linda Luking, which most many people know, um, a really important figure in the Master Gardener program and also just the Gainesville community, mm-hmm. was involved here. And she was part of that original committee to oh, restore wow. the mm-hmm. gardens here. Um, she knew Dr. Tisher well. And so she encouraged me to come and get involved. She knew about my background in horticultural therapy. We were trying to put together a um, grant opportunity to study the difference between passive participation in nature and Mm -hmm. active participation in nature. And this was a really big grant. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, we didn't get the grant. We were a finalist, so they were interested in what we were doing, but um, we didn't actually get the grant. But in that process, we started talking a lot about this concept of providing intentional opportunities for people to um, have this restoration process, basically therapeutic horticulture opportunities. Mm -hmm. So the committee decided whether we got the grant or not, we were going to move forward with this concept of a therapeutic horticulture program. Oh, wow. Wow. So, you know, despite not getting that grant, that need was recognized. Yes. And it still moved forward. That's pretty impressive, honestly. Yeah, Yeah, it really was. And, um, Everybody was really committed to it. It was a, you know, it was a great group of people on that committee too, because we had people from the College of Medicine, people from Environmental Horticulture, the Master Gardener Program. Um, there were some people from, I think, the Engineering Program. So there was wow. really a good mixture of people that recognized this need and this mm-hmm. opportunity that could take place right here in these gardens. Oh wow! And I, you, you mentioned active and passive therapy. Um, and, you know, I also think from the landscape architecture background, we think of active and passive recreation. To a certain extent, they're very similar, yeah. you know, how I'm understanding it. But could you give a little definition on what that is? Because, I, you know, we're going to talk about, we are talking about therapeutic horticulture, but I think maybe we go a little bit higher up in that discussion and like what healing gardens are and how those different forms of interaction have impacts. For yeah, roles. absolutely. And it is important because... 
we talk a lot about the concept of healing gardens. And I think everybody has some kind of a idea in their mind of what a healing garden is. And probably mm-hmm. all those ideas are right in some ways. You know, it's a place that a beautiful outdoor place dominated by nature that makes you feel good or makes mm-hmm. you feel better or whatever mm-hmm. that might be. I actually did some work to put together what I call a kind of framework of um, understanding the different types of healing gardens. And so the framework that I have really designates healing gardens in kind of two tracks. One would be the active track and one would be the passive track. Mm -hmm. So the passive track would be the kinds of gardens that you go to where you're not really actively working. You're not Mm -hmm. gardening or you're not... um, maintaining the garden anyway. You're just there to sit, to wander, to view things, to just really enjoy being in nature and all of the, you know, noticing the views and the sounds and the smells. And it doesn't mean you're sitting, not doing anything, but you're not getting your hands in the dirt, Mm -hmm. I guess Mm -hmm. is a simple way to put that. And so there's all sorts of gardens that are that way, but they're really meant for more about the restoration process And then the other side, what I think of as the active track, are more, I guess you could call them like the enabling gardens. Mm, So the mm -hmm. kinds of gardens where you are really much, you're taking a more active role in the garden. Maybe you're working in raised beds or in ground beds or you're, you know, manipulating things in some kind of way, but you're having a more active experience in that garden. It doesn't mean that you're not also benefiting from those more passive components of the garden. Restoration portion. Exactly. But, Mm -hmm. and and those two things completely overlap. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's no black and white line there, but the purpose of the garden or the intention of the garden starts out as one or the other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, I I like that. I I really like how you use those terms. So like passive is restorative and active is enabling. And, you know, we hear terms a lot now, like nature bathing, um, related to just engaging with the environment and in a nature because of that restorative effect, and that those what types of benefits do we see with related re- related to that restorative or passive interaction? Yeah, and that's a great question, and I think we're learning about more of them. But mm-hmm. the one we do know for sure is that when we are passively, and actually probably also when we're actively interacting, but when we're just wandering or sitting in a garden and we're really connecting with nature, what, what's happening is that we are allowing our bodies and our minds to relax and to mm-hmm. kind of let go of some of that the stress that's been building up, that mental fatigue that we you know, pile on with all the computer work and the technology and the responsibilities Mm -hmm. and the deadlines and all that kind of stuff that just build up. And so what what happens in a garden, you know, I'm sure you've all had the experience where you're sitting on a bench or under a tree or somewhere and you notice a butterfly come Mm -hmm. floating along and you're watching that butterfly or a bird or maybe a flower like blowing in the wind and you're completely focused Mm -hmm. on that butterfly and you're watching it, but you're still enjoying it. It's not that same kind of um, it, it doesn't require your attention in the way that paper on your computer that you're trying to finish right. requires it. Right. it it's, t- it's a positive distraction that's allowing you to fully engage in that moment, 
but in a way that's still allowing your body to rejuvenate, to relax, to restore. Mm-hmm. And so those experiences and those moments are really important to have in nature. And I certainly think that um, that can happen whether you're gardening or you're just sitting and enjoying. But what you mentioned, this nature bathing or forest bathing, we often hear they're learning that there's actually a chemical that's released oh, really? from the trees. Uh, um, oh, really? Like from the trees that yes. have like directly interacts with yes. us? Yes. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> phytoncides, they're called. What is it? A phytoncides. I, I'm, Phyton? I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. Oh, we have to look this up. That's yes. cool. Okay. Yeah, but <laughs> and what's amazing about that is they're and they've done some pretty solid research. There's a lot more research that needs to be done. Right. But that um, that can actually have impact on those natural killer cells we have in our our bodies that help to fight the cancer cells. Oh, seriously? And so, yes. I mean, it's amazing, some of these things. And I think they're, they've, they're starting to try to pinpoint which trees give this off more than other trees. Mm-hmm. And that um, they've done some studies showing that, let's say you're just in the garden, you're in the woods walking for two hours, or mm-hmm. maybe you're there for three days because you're there for a long weekend, and what the residual effect is in your body from those phytoncides that you've, you've mm-hmm. picked up. And they're actually finding, of course, the longer you're in the woods, then the longer you have that residual effect. But there's some amazing things wow. they're finding out there. So it's, it, you know, when we talk about this interaction, whether it be passive or active, I guess, in this situation, it's beyond just a psychological benefit, but there's a, a direct, like, physical interaction, yeah. too. Biological interaction, I guess, is a good term to use. Absolutely. and That's neat. It is <laughs> That's neat. Cool. And, you know, we've also, we've heard a lot of stuff about, green exercise and how right. exercise is often more beneficial when you're outside doing mm-hmm, it. And mm-hmm. so I think there's other physical things that play in there as well right. to some of that active um, participation in nature. Yeah. And so let's, you know, we were talking, you know, about the, the passive, because I could easily jump down a rabbit hole. We're talking yeah. about the, this interaction of the trees, because yeah. this is neat. But um, what are the benefits, you know, because we're talking about the restorative factors of the passive healing gardens or interaction what about the active that that enabling program or enabling healing gardens so i think that you know of course just being out in nature and gardening is good for your body because you're moving mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. working on you know and it depends on who you are how old you are what are some of the struggles that you have but um you're you're you know moving your joints you're moving your muscles you've got all sorts of those physical benefits um, mild exercise things mm-hmm. like that but then beyond, those are, of course, physical benefit, benefits. But then you're feeling good about that stuff as well. But one of the things that we really emphasize in our program here, which I think you can really get from gardening at home or at a community garden or wherever, is that sense of self-esteem and self-efficacy that come along with that. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you're giving back, yeah. you know, whether you're giving back to the earth because you're taking care of a space or you're um, giving back to your neighbors because you're harvesting too many zucchinis <laughs> and you've got to pass them <laughs> on to your friends and your neighbors. Yeah. Or that, like, in a place here at Wilmot Gardens where our participants are growing plants for our plant sales mm-hmm. or to plant out in the gardens for other people to see think that helps people to realize that they really have value in this world sometimes we question that about ourselves you know am I really contributing in some kind of a meaningful way Mm -hmm. in my society Um, and especially for people that have some kind of disability or challenge that keeps them from uh, contributing in the traditional sort of way and so kind of building that up and and helping people to realize that they really are they have value they're making a difference they're making us a better place for all of us and uh, that can have 
such impact on somebody's self-value, self-esteem, self-efficacy, self-worth, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And so that, that takes me into this role because you're mentioning about the, the value that the participants here get. So under this big umbrella of healing gardens, there's all different types of gardens that can be have to do with you know, specific ailments or injuries or disabilities versus healing, going out and just walking through a garden or a park. But under this big umbrella of different healing gardens, that's where therapeutic horticulture resides. And I want to make a designation at this point. Okay. Because <laughs> I always <laughs> screw this up. <laughs> there is a difference between therapeutic horticulture and horticulture therapy. Yes. And technically it's horticultural therapy. Hortic- see? <laughs> Which <laughs> I always, I always screw yes, it up. no, no. And, and you'll see that term a lot, actually. Yeah. But I do because the American Horticultural Therapy Association uses the term horticultural therapy. So I always tell my students, let's go with that term. But (laughs) so yes, there is a difference and it is an important difference. And when we're talking about therapeutic horticulture and horticultural therapy, we're talking about a service that we're delivering, like Mm -hmm. say here at Wilmot Gardens in our program. And so horticultural therapy is um, a program that's based on a specific specific treatment plan. Mm -hmm. So let's say I have Mr. Smith that has come into my horticultural therapy program we're going to develop a treatment plan for Mr. Smith. Maybe he's recovering from a stroke. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have some specific goals for him. It could be working on eye-hand coordination, gross and fine motor skills, maybe ambulation through the greenhouse. And we're going to come up with those goals, and then we're going to track, we're going to document and track his progress on those Mm -hmm. goals. Mm -hmm. So it's a treatment plan. Mm -hmm. Now, in therapeutic horticulture, we may still have goals for our group, but they aren't going to be individualized in that same way. Mm. So we could have a group of, um, as we do here in our program, a group of young adults in addiction recovery. Mm-hmm. And we don't have individual goals for each one of those, um, those young adults, but we do have some overarching goals like introducing them to some new positive leisure skills mm-hmm. or being able to learn about horticulture so that that might be something they become interested in, whether it's vocationally or it's a way to fill their free time in a positive way. Um, with a cancer group, we might use therapeutic horticulture to provide support and mm-hmm. opportunities for creative expression. So the activities might be the same, but maybe the emphasis is a little bit different. But the main difference between those two is that is it an individualized treatment plan or more of a group right. set of goals? So horticultural therapy is individualized, specifically tailored to an individual in their recovery process. Yes. And therapeutic horticulture is more generalized group-based programming. Right. And let me just, because I, I often say this and then I make, I confuse people. You can have a group of 10 people in a horticultural therapy program together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They could be participating in a group, but they're each going to have their own goals that they're working on. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, so. so that, and I think that's important to make sure that we designate or differentiate the two because this is a therapeutic horticulture program. And you mentioned, like, you have um, recovering addicts come in. Um, you mentioned cancer patients. And the activities that you give them um, – depend on the type of group, I assume. Exactly, right? yeah. So as I mentioned, um, we have worked with people that are uh, have stroke-associated paralysis. Mm-hmm. So that group, 
we could be doing the same um, propagation activity that we're doing with our addictions recovery group, but we're going to be really emphasizing the eye-hand coordination on that mm -hmm. one. With mm -hmm. our addictions recovery group, we might be emphasizing kind of the vocational technique yeah. so that they can do mm -hmm. it on their own. So it just depends on the group. But yeah, well, it's we could have some very different groups. We've been working with um, a group of young adults with autism. Mm -hmm. And so those are, we're kind of doing communication skills, problem solving, teamwork, some things like that. Again, it could be through a propagation technique, but we're emphasizing different aspects of that activity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the, this targeted aspects of these activities, like I know that propagation you know, that's, that all comes down to the active, essentially, that active involvement with the therapeutic horticulture. And I, I assume there's a lot of passive uh, therapeutic horticulture that's happening just as part of the therapeutic horticulture program being here at Wilmont and then having the, the ambling trail that kind of wanders through the, the wooded area with all the camellias. Is that correct? Yeah, and, you know, that's a, that's a great point to make, Taylor, because I think just being here, mm -hmm. you know, just coming in, whether you're walking through the garden to get here, you know, it, of course, uh, those of you listening can't see this greenhouse that we're sitting in, but we have a greenhouse that's full of plants here. It just means so, they have to come. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, and we would love that. Um, but just even sitting in the greenhouse surrounded by these windows, we've got beautiful views out to the garden, we've got plants on all levels, that's a therapeutic experience mm -hmm. in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So they could be getting both the active and the passive because they're doing a propagation technique, for example, or they're making some kind of a plant craft or something. But mm -hmm. The one thing I, I guess I want to back up real quickly and say, the other thing that's important about horticultural therapy is that it really is based on active oh, okay. interaction okay. with nature. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean that you can't have some passive activities right. in there, but for the most part, it really is that active because mm -hmm. you're really trying to achieve goals. So that needs to be in more of an active way. That, that, makes, that makes sense. And also, you know, when you were mentioning that when you're engaging this active, you still have that passive experience. And that goes back to earlier what you said, that it's not a black and white, you know, active versus passive. It's kind of all around the place. And um, because if you're engaging in active um, programming, you know, just being here and taking in just the surroundings of being in the gardens, being in the greenhouse, just being around the greenery, the, the trees that are, you know, healing us, um, that is all passive. Right, no, and, and if we're doing a propagation technique with herbs, mm -hmm. then as we're taking those cuttings oh, and, smells. you know, we're pulling the bottom leaves off, mm -hmm. yes, all that amazing sensory component. So you're component. engaging all the different senses. Yep. So, yep. like, you can hear the sounds of, I mean, we're at the corner of Gale and Maori, so you hear yeah. cars, but yeah. you also have a lot of the wildlife. You have birds here. You have the little, like, the, the, the creek that yep. runs around through here so that the sound that yep. you have of the, the water kind of trickling down. You're hearing that um, the sounds of, I mean, we had a bee fly overhead a few yeah. minutes ago. So <laughs> the sounds of bugs kind of buzzing around. Um, but then that's that smell, that, that feeling things as you're working with stuff. So you're engaging every sense. That's right. And that is actually one of the things that we try to do here. And most therapeutic horticulture and horticultural therapy programs try to do is use sensory plants, sensory oriented mm -hmm. plants as much as they can, mm -hmm. because sometimes we have to find a way to hook somebody that, you know, mm. is coming into our mm -hmm. program. They may not have any horticulture experience. They may not think they're interested in plants. Mm -hmm. So we almost, I don't want to say we have to trick them, but we have to really catch their attention right away yeah. to get them to want to come back. So mm -hmm. if we can use a really interesting plant or something that's really sensory oriented or something that makes them feel successful right away, mm -hmm. we're going to have a much better experience of 
or much better um, opportunity to kind of hook them from the beginning and make them want to come back and kind of continue that therapeutic experience. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, it's like when you're, you're creating these cognitive connections and, you know, when like you're teaching, you know, the, the passive learning is like you have a speaker teaching to a classroom versus, you know, it has better roles. If you're having the kids in, or the learners engaging in different ways, they have different cognitive connections that are created and it allows them to have a better connection to what they learn. Yeah, absolutely. It's that active learning process. You're yeah. right. And then, and I'm glad you said that because that is one of the things we try to do is give them the opportunity to make connections as well. Like, oh, I remember this herb my grandmother used to plant yeah. with it or cook with You're it. You're pulling or, something out of the, yes. the memory banks. Yep. Yeah. And then that connects with somebody else who might talk about something their grandmother did. And, mm-hmm. and then suddenly we're making these connections that not only help stimulate people cognitively, but help uh, connect the group more. So building that sense of community, that's such an important part of this type of program. Oh, that's wonderful. So uh, tell me a little bit about the programs that you are doing specifically here, because I would like to hear about some of the research that you all are participating in or you help support, um, as well as just the, the programs that you are running or the staff is running here, volunteers are helping out with. Um, with the College of Medicine. I'd love to hear more about that. And uh, start with the programs first. Like, what are the things that you talked about? Plant propagation, and that probably has to do with the plant sale, I'm assuming, because you create a lot of plants. (laughs) There's a lot of plants here. (laughs) There are a lot of plants here. They're all young and little right now, but hopefully they'll be bigger. So, yeah, we have, I will say that one of the wonderful things about this program, it's, it's kind of that two sides of the coin thing, is that currently the university doesn't support our actual programming here in the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm on faculty of environmental horticulture. So of course the university supports my position, but any of the programming. So I mentioned our addictions recovery group, our cancer group, um, the autism group, we have to look for funding to to Mm -hmm. have those programs. So we look for grants and we have some, some um, donors that have been really wonderful to us. And so that's obviously a challenge, but the good side of that is that means that we end up working with a lot of different populations because mm-hmm. we'll see, maybe we see a quality of life grant out there. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, mm-hmm. we saw that with the Dana and Christopher Reeve Foundation put out a quality wow. of life grant. Wow. And so we applied and we got it. Mm-hmm. And so we started working with that population that we were not, you know, hadn't worked with before. And so that's one of the great things about this particular program at UF is we work with many, many different populations. You don't see that very often in horticultural therapy, therapeutic mm-hmm. horticulture programs. So um, we've, gosh, we've worked with, uh, we have a women's veterans group right now. Oh, wow. um, we also have a veterans group for veterans with um, mental health issues, mostly bipolar disorders. That's mm-hmm. on hold right now because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, so we've just about a month ago, slowly reopened our therapeutic horticulture programs. Of course, we we Mm -hmm. closed in March of 2020. Um, And so we're open on a limited basis right now. Mm -hmm. We're we're meeting with our women veterans, with our addictions recovery group. And then we also have our, what we call our alumni group. And Mm -hmm. this is a group that they had participated in some other group that we have. So it could have been our kidney disease group, our stroke associated paralysis, our veterans with spinal cord injury and disease because the funding of that, you know, you get a grant, it's usually mm-hmm. for a year or two when it comes to an end. Unfortunately, the program had to end. Mm-hmm. So we um, committed to doing, to fund this alumni group and anybody in any one of those other programs come to could come to this. Group. So because that's such a popular group, <laughs> we had to split it into two sessions since oh, we wow. opened from COVID mm-hmm. just so we could maintain our social distancing. Right. 
But um, so we've got those four groups running now that we've just reopened. We also just recently got funding from the Love for Lawrence Foundation to start a uh, UF student group. Oh, that's Which great. I'm really excited about, specifically for students that are suffering from depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. loneliness. Mm-hmm. Th- this is a epidemic with yeah. college students right now across the country. And so we're working with the Counseling and Wellness Center, mm-hmm. and they're re- going to be referring students to us to come oh, and wonderful. do horticulture activities that are going to be combined with wellness strategies, right. mindfulness, resilience, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about that. And that will become a research group. Wow. So we're going to probably starting in the fall, we're going to do a pilot group this spring, and then starting in the fall, we're going to try to do some research on that group and see if we're having oh, an effect. That's awesome. That's great. I, you know, part of your, so much of your programs are related to, you know, you're looking for grants that relates to the research that's available. But, you know, therapeutic horticulture has been around for a little bit, but it's still, like, we're just at the tip of the iceberg of understanding, like, what it is, its benefits, um, can you explain a little bit about that, the research that's kind of going on here um, and as well just across the country and how we're seeing that evolve? Yeah, and, you know, that's a great point. And I think that one of the challenges of this area is that we all understand intuitively why something like this is good for us. Right. You know, I think we can all – that doesn't – that's not a hard thing to understand, mm-hmm. that being in nature and working just with plants the, would be positive. Just the why. Yeah, the yeah. why. What are the mechanics? Mm-hmm. What is actually happening in our bodies and our brains to, to make those changes? And so that is something we need to tease out. And, and not just that, not just – um, how, but like, how much do we need? So, mm-hmm. you know, what's the dosage of something like this? And how does that yeah. change from group to group? Mm-hmm. So things like that. So we have done some research here, and we've had two graduate students come through and do their um, graduate research uh, here. And they were both actually on, both projects were on women, um, kind of in the age group, and I can't remember exactly, but about 20 to 50. Mm-hmm. And what we call, you know, women with no pre pre-diagnosed condition or anything right, right. Um, and then they the women came in and they did gardening sessions in the greenhouse twice a week for mm-hmm. eight weeks something like that and they did a whole battery of tests the two uh, research studies were slightly different but used many of the same um, procedures because mm-hmm. we were trying to see if we could duplicate one to the next and we found some pretty pretty dramatic things actually even though we did screen for many existing criteria um, once the women were in the program, many of them self-reported pretty high levels of depression when they first oh, started wow. the program. Wow. And within about two weeks mm-hmm. of being in this program, those levels of depression dropped really dramatically. Oh, wow. Like, really dramatically. <laughs> that's after how many weeks, did you say? Two weeks. Two weeks. So that's so four, four sessions. sessions. Yeah. And how long was each session? Uh, about session? an hour and a half. That's remarkable. It Six was hours. remarkable. Yeah, it was remarkable. And then they continued to drop, but at a not nearly as dramatic right, rate. Right. So that actually made us start to wonder, well, what's the dosage for something like this? Hmm. And how long do you have to maintain it? And what happens when you stop? And so um, the second graduate student duplicated that. But we also started to wonder, okay, how much of this is horticulture and how much of it is a social group a social coming thing. together? Right. Mm-hmm. So our second graduate student, Ray O'Day, who actually has now become a registered horticultural therapist. All right. Yes. Go, Ray. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and actually is working um, for me teaching in our undergraduate certificate in horticultural therapy. Oh, wonderful. Which is fantastic. His uh, study was on, so also the similar group of women, um, also coming twice a week. But this time he had the horticulture group 
And then he had another group of women, a same kind of basically same demographics, doing art mm. instead of horticulture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, actually right here at Wilmot Gardens in our conference center. And we actually even tried to match up as much as we could the type of art with the type of horticulture they were doing. I know that sounds um, crazy, but we tried to... I'm curious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there were manuals and we, you know, the instructors talked to each other. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that there definitely was a positive effect for the art group as well. But in a few of the categories, we still saw more improvement in horticulture. Oh. So um, we have not yet published that paper. We're still mm-hmm. kind of working through some of the information, but we did find that there still was a, a stronger benefit to horticulture in some of those areas. So the coming together as a group was important, but there was more than just that. Right. There was more to the horticulture. Um, we also did a research project very early one when we first got started on a group of adults with end-stage kidney disease. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. these are all people that are on dialysis, you know, three hours a day, three times a week. And um, it was a tough group to work with in the sense that they're very, they're very ill. Right, and everybody, right. it was a two-year study, mm-hmm. everybody in that group ended up in the hospital at some point or another. So the data collection was challenging, right. but we were able to get some um, good information out of there. We did publish a paper on that. And one of the things that we found that was, I thought, very significant was those that participated in the program um, reported a significant reduction in their feeling feelings of being a burden on their caregivers mm, when they were in the wow. program. And the, one of the things that was interesting about that program is we invited the care partner to be part of the program as well. Oh, wow. So they came in and they worked together here yeah. in the greenhouse. Yeah. But so that reduction in feeling like a burden mm-hmm. was really um, pretty significant. The one other thing I'll mention about that study is we we took data at the beginning before they started, mm-hmm. halfway through. Mm-hmm. So they were each, they were here about 15 weeks. And then at the very end, and then we took measurements again two months after Afterwards. they had finished the program mm-hmm. all the benefits were gone two minutes two months oh, later wow. so that made us at least for that population mm-hmm. helped us to understand that there's a late or there's a you have to do it again you yes. have to repeat it yeah at least for that population and mm-hmm. and you know we don't we don't know where they continue to garden at home had they stopped altogether right. oh, you see. know so mm-hmm. i'm sure there's some variables there that maybe we could have some influence on mm-hmm. but that was a good thing for us to know yeah, because like if there was a permanent behavior change um, where they went home and they were able to garden themselves regularly, you know, was that benefit completely lost or is, you know... Could that have sustained it, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and I think, again, with that population being so ill, it's, you, it, it would be hard for hard. them to do that. Yeah. And actually about five folks died during that study. Oh. It, was, it was really tough. You know, yeah. wonderful, wonderful group of people, but just... Um, a, t- a really challenging population in terms of the things that they're dealing with. Yeah. And, you know, even even when you're thinking about um, doing research that is medical, essentially, I mean, it is medical related. It's all based on the College of Medicine that even understanding, like from a research perspective, the amount of people that you need to participate in studies in order to have a conclusive... right. Uh, results or data or sample to, size yeah, yeah to make good recommendations that's that's really hard because it, it doesn't I, I'm not sure it's like a 0.001 I think or 0.01 significance you have to have within the medical field or something like that compared to 05 yeah and just that sample yeah. size like you said is so important so that mm-hmm. you're not you know you know that it's generalizable at least to that population we're actually I'm excited I hope this works out we've been working with um, some dermatologists here at UF mm-hmm. health 
to try to get some funding together to look at psoriasis patients who really struggle with depression because of the psoriasis. And we're trying to see if we can get a a program going for them to see if we can make a difference on the depression through Mm -hmm. therapeutic horticulture. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, it'd be great. And, you know, you learn these benefits as you go, as you complete or be able to participate in these research. Um, But some of the things that we're seeing, like, really benefit also is you're, you're talking about the plant sale and I know one time in conversation, we were talking about, you know, just their ability or the people who participate in the therapeutic horticulture programs here, that they have a connection to say, like, I'm contributing to something more. And that plant sale, essentially, they benefit from that. Absolutely. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I may have told you that when we first started doing the plant sales, I felt like I shouldn't ask our participants to help us prepare for those plant sales. Right. That, that felt like I was asking for free labor or something yeah. and that didn't feel right to me mm-hmm. but but um they were all like no we want to help because it, they really felt so good about producing something that somebody wanted to buy yeah. and not just not just to make them feel like there was some money involved but because that meant, helped them to feel like whatever they were growing was somebody valued desirable. just desirable yeah. yeah and that somebody wanted it so much they were willing to pay for it or even that it was getting planted out in the garden and and that they were then benefiting our program, and which mm-hmm. they knew was so important. Yeah. So uh, just a way for them to give back. And as I said earlier, many of the folks that we work with can't have a job because they either physically are not able to work um, or they, you know, whatever their struggle or their disability is means that it can really it's difficult for them to hold a job. So being able to, and they, that makes them feel badly about themselves because mm-hmm. they don't feel like they're contributing. So in this situation, they're so excited about being able to contribute to Wilmot, to the community, you know, to be able to help produce plants for the sale. So they'll, they'll come in there like, what's next? What's on the, <laughs> <laughs> what's on the plan for the plant sale today? That's wonderful. Yeah, like, what are we really propagating? Is, exactly. I mean, we're surrounded by trays of yeah. little starts, you know, and yep. when, when is that sale? So this spring, the plant sale is April 8th, I'm sorry, 9th and 10th, which is a Friday, Saturday. Um, and Normally, we do it in the greenhouse. We'll be doing it outside, of course, mm-hmm. for social mm-hmm. distancing. We're going to have lots of great stuff, uh, vegetables, herbs. Um, we'll have tropicals. We've got succulents, begonias, all sorts of really great stuff. We also have a pre-order going on right now so oh, with some great shrubs and trees and stuff. And if you're interested um, and you haven't seen that pre-order form floating around, you can just go to Wilmot Gardens and there it's on the website. But Wonderful. yeah, it's a really, you know, and even if you don't want to shop, you just kind of want to come out and look and around. It's, yeah. it's a great, it really is a great place. And we usually have some very unusual plants and really great values. So Oh, wonderful. And I know that you also have your sale um, in the fall, the camellia sale, plant yep. sale. Uh, but you've expanded beyond just camellia. And it makes sense that you have a camellia sale being that we're at Wilmot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we traditionally, and actually I think we are going to have some camellias at the spring sale, which normally we don't. Oh, wow. But mm-hmm. we do in our fall sale always have lots of camellias. And we did that as a pre-order this last year, or this mm-hmm. last fall, and it was very successful. But we do, we have lots of other fun stuff. We usually do Christmas cactus in the fall and lots oh, of other tropicals and houseplants and stuff like that so they've really grown for us over the years and that's been fantastic because we split the proceeds 50 50 straight down the middle half of the proceeds go to support our therapeutic horticulture programming and the other half go to support the garden because again we have to fundraise to take care of this garden our Mm -hmm. our groundskeeper is based on a donation his position is Mm -hmm. um, donated basically 
And um, all those beautiful plants out there are either donated or purchased through funds that we've raised. So I, I know the Master Gardener volunteers, um, they come out here and they'll help volunteer during the events. Um, but can anybody come out that's interested in volunteering or, you know, even if it's just pulling weeds or anything like that? Absolutely. We do ask not to just show up, but to let <laughs> us know that you're interested mm-hmm. because we have a couple of different ways to volunteer. We do have what we call Saturday work days or work parties, and right. it's about mm-hmm. once a month. Um, mm-hmm. It's on our website. We usually have it on the Master Gardener uh, calendar as well. And so that's just on a Saturday morning, and anybody can sign up for that. And then we also have volunteer opportunities throughout the week, but we ask you to kind of sign up ahead of time. Right. And you can do that through Shannon, who's our business manager, and that's on our website as well. Uh, we also have some uh, fewer, but some opportunities to volunteer in the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got master gardeners doing all of that. And then, of course, in my therapeutic horticulture program, I have some wonderful master gardeners. They were my first volunteers mm-hmm. to help me get this program going. I do require that volunteers in the therapeutic horticulture program go through a special training understandable which is available online and Mm -hmm. um so yeah this is a great place to volunteer it's a really nice community um and we've gotten a little better at managing you know just making sure our volunteers have something to do and it's organized and that sort of thing over the years so and you know for anybody that's interested you know you wilmot gardens is a public garden here on uf's campus and it's at the the corner of gail limerin and mallory Um, And it's open seven days a week, right? It is. It Mm -hmm. is. And um, we will, I know people that, especially people that aren't UF people are always a little nervous about parking and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing coming on campus. On the weekends, you don't have to worry about it. If you just want to visit, you can Mm -hmm. park anywhere during the week. If you're coming to volunteer, we'll make sure you have a place to park or we'll give you a voucher so you can park in the next door parking garage. So don't let that get in your way if you're worried about it. But if you're just coming to visit, even during the week, we do have a small parking lot that you can park in. It will just give you a temporary pass. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you are part of the Environmental Horticulture Department um, and the program here. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned teaching some of the online program, but can you explain? So th- there's certifications that you can get within this field if, say, you wanted to make it a career um, like you have specific uh, certifications. Um, can you explain a little bit about like what your certifications are and sure. what you can get with UF or at least within the program? That yeah, you absolutely. And, and technically it's not a certification yet. Mm, so okay. I am a, horti- a professionally registered horticultural therapist. Mm-hmm. And that designation is granted through the American Horticultural Therapy Association. Um, I got that back in the 90s when mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I went through an application process and had to have certain experience and education and that sort of and thing. And that's when you were in Chicago at the, the time? Yep, that yeah. was when I was in mm-hmm. Chicago. Um, and so the right now, the, the AHTA, American Horticultural Therapy Association, grants that based on your qualifications. And you do, these days, you have to do an internship and you have to have a bachelor's degree and you have to have certain credit hours and different kinds of classes Mm-hmm. Um, there is not a licensing exam right now. They are working toward that, and that uh, says the profession advances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, we hope at some point this is going to be reimbursable by Medicare and Medicaid and insurance companies and that sort of thing. Um, but what we're doing here at UF is just, let's see, I guess it was in the fall of 2019, we launched our new undergraduate certificate program in mm-hmm. horticultural therapy. So students can now take this certificate program, and you can either be a student here at UF, or mm-hmm. you can be somebody that lives in Singapore, and you can take this program. It's fully online. Mm-hmm. It's a four-course, 12-credit-hour certificate program, and when you're finished with it, you will have gained your required 
credit hours in horticultural therapy courses that the AHTA requires. Oh, okay. And maybe if you've, uh, if you've decided to do that, you may also have gained your internship mm-hmm. that's required. You still have to do some horticulture science uh, credits and you have to do right. some um, health science credits, but sometimes people already have those through mm-hmm. their college. So yeah, it's very exciting because we've got people, we've got a lot of UF students, but currently I've got a student in Taiwan and uh, two students in Singapore, Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. uh, Trinidad, South Africa. I mean, it's an amazing group. And just imagine all the experiences they're sharing with each other about gardens and nature and, you know, people and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, you're seeing success and it's, you're two years into the program? Two years into the program. And so, and as you said earlier, I believe that I am one of three or four professionally registered horticultural therapists in Florida. Wow. I've had about 100 students enter the program since we started it two years ago. Of course, not all of those students <laughs> right, are going to get registered, right. but even if half or a quarter of them did. That's a huge success. Yeah. So that would be, I mean, that's what we need is we just right. need more people doing this kind of stuff, you know, and, and, Really, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that are offering some people plant types of programs. Right. And they're, I'm sure they're wonderful programs. But if we can have more people out there that have more knowledge about how to really make these connections work for us and work mm-hmm. for the people that we're trying to benefit, mm-hmm. then we can even do more. Yeah. So, yeah, because if we're thinking about research, and understanding all the benefits related to horticultural therapy or therapeutic horticulture, that we need to learn more. And growing that capacity or who is working within the field can really significantly move the whole career or programs further and a deeper understanding, more effective programming, and just a better understanding of the benefits on that whether active or passive. And with that comes the funding yeah. for funding more programs. And mm-hmm. I know that so many programs out there that are trying to combine these things mm-hmm. struggle with funding because not everybody gets it. Not right. everybody understands it. it. Some places it still feels like a fringe kind of program. Yeah. So the more we can prove how beneficial this is and basically low cost, yeah. you know, then the better off we'll be. And, and you're right that we have to have the research. We've got to have the professional mm-hmm. um, levels of of you know, being able to sh- kind of show the educational levels and the, that research so that we can get the funding out there to the people that could really benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And what, what I think is actually, what I think is really amazing, because if you look, you know, with what you were mentioning at the very beginning of the podcast, like your background and how you got um, in Chicago and then the landscape architecture degree, and then you could see that steady path and to lead to where you're at today. And I think that's a phenomenal um, thing that you have done because you're leading this, you know, with the university and the state. And I think that's fantastic. Um, And to kind of close out, like, our conversation today, you know, I really want to ask, like, you know, if, if you're thinking of that one big statement that you would talk about therapeutic horticulture, you know, what, what would it be, or what, what do you like to communicate with just the general populace? Oh, Taylor, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I saved the hardest one for last. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, 
I don't know. I think that big question probably shifts for me from month mm-hmm. to month or <laughs> group to group or season to season. But I think today, you know, this season, maybe one of the things that, and one of the reasons I've been so happy to get our programs open again or starting to open again mm-hmm. after COVID is with all the turmoil that we've been through, political turmoil, you know, this COVID stuff, I just feel like people have been so separated, so isolated from each other, Mm -hmm. so divided. And it's so wonderful to see in our groups, among our volunteers, among the people that come to these gardens, that people that are coming from such different walks of life Mm -hmm. and such different backgrounds and experiences can sit at a table together and do a horticulture activity and enjoy each other. Yeah. And get something from each other and share and support and who knows who they supported for president or who knows, you know, what their take on masks or vaccines is or any of that kind of stuff. And for that moment, it just doesn't matter. matter. And so I think that that heartens me in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. And if we can find, if we can find more opportunities to ground ourselves within our similarities yes yeah and the and i i'm not trying to say that those other things aren't important right but we've got to find some common ground that's important to all of us to connect us and bring us together so that some of those other things whether we're talking about them together or then when we go on to talk to other people we've got sort of a strong positive feeling you know something that feels good Mm -hmm a base that feels good in our lives because there's so many things that don't or that feel out of control or that kind of thing. But, but if we know that we can share something strong and positive with a group of people, then that gives us hope that we can share more strong and positive things with other groups of people. That's awesome. That's a cool message. So, um, and I, I like on the sign that you have hanging up here kind of relates to what you just said. I mean, essentially the banner in the greenhouse that says therapeutic horticulture helping people live a better life so lee thank you this is awesome conversation thank you taylor i really enjoyed it and i really appreciate having this opportunity yeah you do awesome work out here so come on out to wilmot yes come visit yeah (laughs) and come to the plant sale (laughs) oh absolutely all right you all take care thank you